0: Be
1: continued at scs.georgetown.edu
0: podcast. What's up, guys? This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Simply Safe. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's tr- the traditional way where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune, or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award winning protection, two time winner of the CNET Editor's Choice Award. Simply Safe blankets your whole home in safety. You get comprehensive co- uh, protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry motion, motion and glass break sensors guard inside. You barely notice it's there, but what's truly remarkable is you can set up this system all by yourself. Anyone can do it. It takes 30 minutes to an hour tops, and there's absolutely no trade-offs to your safety. You'll have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home at a moment's notice, 24/7. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. It's why The Verge calls Simply Safe the best home security system. Go to simplysafe.com/team today. That's slash team T E A M, and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com/team. That's simplysafe.com/team. My guest today, the ultra back himself, Raymond Harris, who was a who was drafted uh, out of uh, Ohio State in 1994 as a fullback, started as a fullback, but by the time he left the Bears in the late '90s, was our starting tailback uh you know handling the handling the rock ran for a thousand yards in his last season uh with the bears and um it was really great talking to him and i hope you enjoy it uh it's the it's this is the raymond harris episode of the Bearstalk underground so let's get to it Draft weekend is in the books as we kind of head into that vast wasteland of the NFL offseason that is the post-draft period. I mean, and the thing is, we don't have much to look forward to right now because uh, there's not going to be any OTAs or mini camps or at least nothing on the horizon uh, anytime soon anyway. So this really is going to be kind of like that vast uh, wasteland of, of nothingness between now and, and training camp and when, whenever normal life can, uh, resume. So sorry to start it out with the gloom and doom. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for this next episode of the bear Talk underground. Our special guest today will be Raymond Harris, former Chicago bear running back and the ultra back himself. Cause he was kind of like the, uh, Swiss army knife. Uh, of uh, of running backs um drafted kind of to be a, a a fullback but was kind of forced into duty uh throughout his uh career uh with the bears from 94 to uh through the 97 uh season you know like i said drafted to be a fullback and he was the backup uh to merrill hodge in 94 his rookie season but merrill hodge suffered a career-ending injury about five games into the season and then raymont was the starting fullback from then on out um and then uh, was hurt in 95 came back in in uh, 96 backing up uh, Rashaan Salam, who suffered an injury early on in the season and, and Raymond ended up being our starting tailback throughout 96 and a similar situation took place in uh, in 97 and in the 97 Raymond ran for over 1000 yards as the starting runner uh, for the Bears and um what inspired me to reach out to Raymond Harris to tell you the truth I'm not really sure um, it was, uh, just before the draft, uh, I was watching a video online. I think it was on Facebook and it was a video of a handful of former bears. Uh, the ones that I remember being on the video, you had Otis Wilson, you had, um, Devin Hester, uh, big cat, James Williams, uh, and Mike Singletary. Those are the ones that I remember being in the video talking about what it meant, uh, for them to be bears, you know, what it meant to play football in Chicago for the fans and, and so on and so forth, and I'm not exactly sure why that video inspired me to look up what, what Raymond Harris uh, was up to, but uh, I went online, uh, I found him on uh, Twitter, I started following him, sent him a message asking him if he wanted to be on the show, and he came back in very short order and said yes, and the rest is history. And I mean, guys, from the moment I started watching that video until Raymond had agreed to be on the show, maybe 45 minutes had passed. I mean, it happened just that fast. I mean, like it was meant to be, was written in the stars for Raymond to be a guest on the show. That's how quickly uh, it happened. I spoke to Raymond uh, Monday afternoon, uh, really had a great time uh, talking to him, and we'll get to that here uh, in just a few minutes. Um, this is not a draft preview, so I'm not going to you know talk about the picks or anything like that. We're going to save that for when we have Scott Wright uh, back on the show either later on this week or early, uh, next week. Still trying to get to Scott, who's a very, very busy guy this time of year, as I'm sure you understand. Uh, to get him back on the show to talk about, uh, talk about our picks. The draft in general, um, was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, for me, it, uh, number one, it was the draft. So, uh, you know, I love watching the draft. I, you know, you learn a lot about the players and where they come from, what their traits are, why they were draftable why this guy got drafted in that spot by this team and uh so on and 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 so forth there's an awful lot to uh learn uh the parts of the draft that i said i would didn't uh, that i did not miss i certainly did not miss them you know being 20 minutes between picks and falling behind the actual draft order uh number 12 still waiting to be announced but we're actually on like pick 17 uh because, you know, everybody's gotta be on the stage to have their picture taken and every player's gotta bring their entire entourage out there on the stage, which is a right they've totally earned. But man, do they can they can drag it out sometimes. So um you know, I I didn't miss the constant uh like the day three picks especially, uh dipping into this person or that person to make some random choice, uh, you know, from this aircraft carrier, or this historic spot, or this person won a punt, pass, and kick competition, or or some nonsense like that. Uh, just making the picks. Day three, uh, you know, very few of the picks were actually announced. Most of them just showed up, selection made, boom, the Bengals picked this guy, the Broncos picked that guy, so on and so forth. Um, a couple of pet peeves that I had throughout the night, and this was something that was actually kind of viral on twitter was espn who the hell did the prep work for espn because anyone who suffered any kind of personal tragedy that thing was highlighted like you wouldn't believe for this player this person's dad died. This mom struggled with cocaine addiction for 16 years. This person's uh, grandmother, you know, you know, f- lost an arm in an accident or something just outrageous, like any tragedy they could find, just beef it up. I guess to try to amplify what this kid has gone through uh, to make it to this point and get drafted uh, into the NFL. But it became a joke uh, after a while. I mean, it's to the point where a buddy of mine and I suggested that there should be a drinking game. Um, one was um, you have to take a shot every time Booger McFarland says, without a doubt, because through day one and through most of the way, I think somebody finally caught on to it because he stopped doing it. But throughout day one and into day two, whenever Booger McFarlane spoke, he said, without a doubt, his resp- first response to whatever you said was without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt. So take a shot every time that idiot says without a doubt or anytime time uh, my buddy said, anytime there's a dead dad. But it was like more like when they highlight somebody's personal tragedy, take another shot. You would have been hammered, hammered uh, throughout day two. Because it's like every person that had even like he had a a thumbnail you know a hangnail in his left hand uh, that caught you know he was in severe pain trying to catch balls in a game but he did it he caught ten and he, you know won the game for his team that was highlighted uh, for summer so any hurdle that anybody had to overcome was ramped up and it would like I said it became a joke uh, after a while so where you're sitting here. You know, trying to be you know be excited for the for the kid for getting drafted uh, and all that kind of stuff. It just became you know a thing where it's like, oh geez, what did this person overcome? Or it just became a joke where you're like, okay, so what did this person uh, have to live through in order to make it uh, to this point? Whereas dad's leg sheared off in a farming accident or something like that, or you know maybe his mother was a fourteen year old prostitute. Who knows? just whatever he had to do he made it here uh despite the odds to to the nfl so uh like i said it became kind of a joke after a while and one that everything everyone else is kind of catching on to uh at the uh, by the end of the you know as the draft went along it became a running joke online so uh but overall i thought it went very well um goodell I really don't know about that guy, man. Um, you know, I like I said, I was kind of over the the booing and, and everything, and it's kind of like a joke to him where, you know, he was telling the people that were on the screen to, you know, hey, let's hear it, blah, blah, blah. Is that all you got? And and it just it didn't come off as, as genuine uh or anything. Like he was really forcing it, uh uh and and things like that. I didn't thought that was kind of silly. And um <laughs> my biggest pet peeve throughout the day throughout all 3 days actually was Lewis Riddick and it's it's not really so much anything that Lewis did it's just that was there nothing that they could do to fix whatever bug that was causing there to be like a 5 second delay from the time somebody asked Lewis Riddick a question to the time that he finally answered it and the thing is the what happens there is that it's all happening in real time Uh, for lewis riddick so he's speaking as soon as the question is done being asked he's not sitting there waiting for five seconds to talk it's taking that long for it to get to him and he's answering immediately but for me and you watching it on television you see uh trey wingo so so uh lewis uh, this guy came out of uh, memphis state and he was one of your favorite running backs in the in the draft Yeah, Rich, I really like the tape on him. He's a versatile guy out of the bat. That's what it looks like. It sounded like to to me and you. I've had some experience with with this. I used to have a problem with that when I did a, a I did a call in radio spot. Um, actually, here in Cedar Rapids, uh, back in 2014, uh, it used to be like that. When when I would call in through Skype, it all sounded like it was happening in real time uh, to me, and I was ask, answering right away. But when you go back and listen to it uh my the radio host that was calling me there'd be about a four second delay between him asking the question and me answering it because i was answering as soon as he was done asking so the delay in between the two and it lasted all three days that was there uh for lewis riddick so that was kind of annoying because he's like my favorite analyst and you know it just it was a pain in the ass every time somebody wanted him uh to talk but um Uh, Anyway, we'll get more into the draft on the official draft uh, uh, review show, Uh, like I said, either at the end of this week or early next week when we have Scott Wright from DraftCountdown.com back on the show. So without further ado, why don't we uh, go ahead and get to what we all came here for. It's my conversation with the ultra back himself, Raymond Harris, former Chicago Bear running back. (laughs) So as we make our way through the uh, through the off season with the uncertainty of what's to come, we'd like to think everything will be resolved and football will still be played in September uh, when it when uh, when the time comes. But in the meantime, the the all that's is is the here and now. And here and now, I have somebody that I was a huge fan of, especially when he wore the the blue and uh, I was gonna say blue and green. What the hell am I talking about? The blue and orange of our Sounds beloved like of yeah. our <laughs> 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 beloved Chicago Bears. And uh, the ultra back himself, Raymond Harris. Raymond, welcome to the show, man. Hey,
2: what's up, Larry? I'm doing. Hey, it's, good, uh, it's really good to be here. Thank you.
0: So, are you in Ohio right now?
2: I am. I'm in uh, Columbus, Ohio. I, uh, I work at Ohio State. I work in the athletic department. I okay. Do major gift fundraising for my alma mater. So it's a uh, it's a nice setup.
0: Nice, nice. Ohio State. Uh, yeah. They. Uh, you think they're going to do well this year? I mean, they're going to be able to close the gap between Clemson and everybody else this year. Yeah,
2: I believe so, man. We have a uh, you know one of the top quarterbacks in the in the country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, returning for his uh, second year at Ohio State, and uh, it's really the kind of program that just kind of reloads versus rebuilds. So yeah, uh, yeah I would not be surprised if, if they're going to be in the conversation at the end of the year for the Final Four. No, no, yeah, no question.
0: Did you know he was on that uh, QB1 documentary series on Netflix? Yeah, you know what? I heard
2: that uh, he was. I've never watched that show, but now that we have so much time on our hands, hey, <laughs> I, I might go dig into the files to check it out now.
0: Yeah, because I think Jake Fromm was on that as well, and I think he was like a season mm-hmm. or two after that, but that's where I heard of him, and that's where, you know, I think he went to Georgia. For, right? Was it Georgia? It was Georgia, and then he transferred out to yeah, yeah. Ohio State, and that's, you know he became the man last year and just kind of ran through the Big Ten, uh, just and made it look yeah, yeah, crazy absolutely. easy too. It's not easy to dominate the Big Ten the way that uh, they made it look uh, last year.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. They had he had so much talent around him, and he's like super talented. So for him to be able to come in and do what he was able to do. Uh, not only put up big numbers, but to not make you know very many mistakes as well. Yeah. Uh, it just really spoke highly of, of him being a, a first-year starter.
0: Right. Well, Ohio State uh, had a pretty good day uh, during over the weekend uh, with the draft. Okuda going three overall uh, to the Lions, and several of his teammates joined him throughout the uh, weekend. So while we're talking about the draft here real quick, you were drafted in the fourth round back in '94. Um, and right. what was, what was that experience like for you? Cause Dave, cause round four was actually day two of the draft instead of day three. And, uh, you know, where do you, where were you projected and, and where did you end up? Was it like on par? Or was it close? Did you go early? How did that all go for you?
2: Yeah. The pre-draft prognosis from all the different uh, experts really varied. They had mm-hmm. me going anywhere from the second round to the fifth round. Oh, boy. So, uh, you know, I kind of got my hopes up and thinking I was going to go in the second round. And there were a number of teams that called and said that they would they would be taking me or, you know, be ready. But, uh, you know, it never materialized. So, yeah. as I noticed, I, I, I man, there was uh, – after Marshall Falk went – I think he was the number two pick. Yeah. Then Greg Hill went, and, and you know later in the first round, and then there was just like this run of uh, running backs. It was like running back after running back would go, and I think there were fourteen, like roughly fourteen running backs that went before me, and uh, yeah, I was so salty. So <laughs> once I once we got to the second day, and the Bears took me uh, number, you know, not first of all I was I was happy. Yeah, and, and pleased that I was actually going to the NFL, but then immediately once uh, I realized I was going to be on the squad, uh, it, it totally turned into like payback, uh, yeah. showing everyone wrong. There's just that kind of chip on the shoulder kind of mentality, and uh, you know, luckily it worked out for me.
0: So, how many teams were you playing for before the Bears actually take? You know, you said you other teams called. So, how many teams were you? How many were you a member of before the Bears actually went ahead and, and put the put your name on a card?
2: Oh, no, Yeah, no one actually said, that, hey, they, always, they didn't say, hey, um, you are, we're definitely picking you, but okay. they let me know ahead of time that, yeah, if I was there, you know, around the second round, third round area, like, they would be picking me. So, there were probably, what, 10, 10 teams? Oh, that, wow. That, you know, that's pretty common. It's pretty common for
1: okay.
2: uh, all the teams to show, you know, multiple interests in, in different guys. But to... Uh, you know, realize, you know, to think that that was the case, but then you see Eric Rett and Charlie Garner and Mario Bates and Chuck Levy and Donnell Bennett and all these guys, boom, 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 boom. All you know, um, Ben Morris, all these different guys that I was familiar with from college to see them actually go, you know, before me. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a tough pill to swallow, but uh, it definitely kept me humble and definitely, you know, Uh, you know, got me in the right state of mind to go in and and handle business with Chicago.
0: Sure, sure. So you come in in 94. That's year two of the Wanstat era. And, And one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because you were on the team when it was a backfield in transition. Because from 1975 to 1993, the Bears had two running backs, Walter Payton and then Neil Anderson, took over for him right. you you joined the team the year after he retired in 93 lewis tillman was going to be the starter and uh and everything under a new coach and dave wanstad so all the Ditka guys were just about gone except for like kevin butler uh at that point so you know yeah. what was it what was it like coming into the to the organization at that time in the franchise's history uh,
2: you know what it was uh, it was interesting it was definitely a time of transition you, you know, we grew up knowing Ditka and the 85 bears and all those great names that they had on, like, on those teams before. Right. But once, uh, you know, 90, you know, once I got there. That really wasn't the case anymore. There was a number of guys that uh, you hadn't heard of. And then a number of guys that, that were, um, well, let's say instrumental in it, in, you know, during the transition. Sure. So, you know, being someone that's fresh out of college, you man, I didn't know anything about like the, the pros, um in terms of like what it took or any of that stuff. So um I was fortunate that there you know there were older guys like Merrill Hodge and Lewis Tillman and Tim Worley that took me under their wings and just kind of let me know what it took and helped show me like you know the ropes. And um and, you know, like from there, uh, just getting an opportunity to get on the field, you know, you you know, I had never played you know, any special teams in college, except for a kickoff return. And then, you know, once you get to the NFL and you're not a starter, you better find a way to get on the field or, you know, you'll be replaced. So uh, primarily I was playing a bunch of uh, special teams. And then, you know, unfortunately, you know, for Merrill, you know, he hurt his neck and I got to come in and believe like maybe like the fifth game of the year and from there, man, I, you know, I I started the rest of the way, and the rest of the story was, was, um, was to be written.
0: Right. So did you come in as a fullback? Were you drafted as one, or were you as a running back to kind of move to fullback to fill in the spot that Merrill left behind?
2: Yeah, I was a running back coming in. I had never played running back ever before. And then uh, when they drafted me, they drafted me as a fullback. Right. But it was kind of, kind of. I guess, to be understood, it's like in that offense, they had a lot, a lot of two-back, but then also single-back. So I'd be a full-back, but then when it came to single-back stuff, you know, I'd be able to do that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I had to make the, make the transition uh, and get used to, like, blocking linebackers like Dante Jones and Vincent Smith and, you know all these crazy – these guys are, like, significantly bigger than me that had way more uh, experience. Yeah. But um, learning how to run block against, like, those guys at that level was the hugest transition for me.
0: I bet. I bet. I mean, I remember Dante Jones when he took over for uh, Samurai, for Mike Singletary, and for him stepping up. and It was a very smooth transition because Dante Jones is a hell of a middle linebacker. He just didn't have the – name recognition that a Mike Singletary uh, had, and he was kind of like that buffer between Singletary and uh, Brian Cox when he joined the team in, what, 95, 96. So,
2: yeah, yeah, that's right, man. You know, well, no one has the, the name recognition of Mike Singletary. There's right. only a few guys man. Yeah. right?
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, I believe I was at your very first pro football game, your rookie year, because uh, I went to the preseason home opener. Uh, against the philadelphia eagles in fact that was the last game that i ever went to at soldier field i haven't been to the soldier field since they reopened it in uh 2003 and i, I was there at the uh, for the wow. f- first game against uh philly so that would have been your first time putting the uniform on right
2: yeah i guess so i honestly i don't remember that game <laughs> uh, there have been so many games since then and i've right. had you know so many concussions oh, that wow. uh yeah, it's hard for me to even remember that, uh, but that sounds about right. And I think that we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember. I get, to get it mixed up between them and uh, the Jets. Mm-hmm. But um, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I remember being, you know, very excited, running out of that tunnel and getting mm-hmm. on that field and just trying to do anything I could to, to be able to make that squad. Yeah,
0: I uh, what I remember is that it was. Uh, The first appearance for, you know, for Lewis Tillman, for Merrill Hodge, for Eric Kramer, who had just signed his uh, free agent deal to join the team. And they took the opening drive, the length of the field, and he threw a touchdown pass to Merrill Hodge to kick things off. And then it went all downhill from there. I mean, I think the Bears end up winning the game, but it was all field goals after that. So it was like so much for the offense coming in and doing what it does with the first possession. And then the rest of it was – you know, hand off three yards in a cloud of dust, punt, maybe we get a field goal. I think the final score was like 13-6 to six or something uh, like that, so not exactly a knockdown, drag-out war or anything uh, like that. But I do remember, yeah. Yeah. you know, and I remember that uh, Lewis Tillman almost killed Clyde Simmons because Clyde Simmons went up in the air and Tillman took his legs out from I – and mean, he did like a front flip over top of uh, Lewis Tillman when he jumped up to block a pass from Kramer. <laughs>
2: I hey mean, you have a great memory because <laughs> all of that stuff, None of that. <laughs> I can't remember any of that stuff. knows? to you for being able to remember that, man.
0: Appreciate it. Jeez. Appreciate it. So yeah. So let's talk about the 94 team. It's your rookie year. This is your introduction to pro football, and you're playing a new position uh, at fullback. Kind of get forced into duty when Merrill has his neck injury only five games into the into the season. And this is a team that kind of went up and down but still found its way to make the playoffs in 94. So your first season in the NFL, right out of the gate, you're in the postseason. Yeah, that was, uh,
2: you know, the veterans told me that, hey, look, this is something that, uh, like, you don't get an opportunity to make it to the playoffs often. I mean, there are many guys that have played many years that never, you know, ever made it to the playoffs. So to actually get on the field at first, playing fullback and then having success by catching the ball off the backfield and um, uh, making some really good runs
1: Mm -hmm. uh,
2: from the single back position. And then being able to do that and consistently get better throughout the course of the year in a, in the, you know, in the league that um, is, Filled with like the amazing talent, you know, my confidence just grew and grew and grew. You know, by the time we got to the end of the year, and um, at that point, I was the second leading rusher on the team. I was the second leading receiver on the team, and um, we faced off against the Minnesota Vikings, who beat us twice throughout right. the year.
1: Yeah, and I mean, beat us
2: like soundly. <laughs> so we had to, we kind of back you know we backed into the playoffs because i can't remember who it was but a couple teams lost and we were able to get that last uh wild card position yeah and we went to many you know to to minnesota to play like a team that had killed us and we just man we just really found our stride that day
0: yeah and for us to play
2: like really well offense and defense it was it was it was strong
0: yeah i was wondering you know because um I remember because you know my amazing memory already I remember that in Chicago they the the Vikings beat the Bears soundly and then the second matchup was like a Thursday night game or a Monday night game Minnesota won it in overtime and it was uh one of the I remember the play too it was Jake it was either Jake Reed or Chris Carter for touchdown Warren Moon was my favorite player in the league at the time so I was all over that game Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, th- third time's the charm. You get beat twice against Minnesota. You're going back to the Metrodome where the Bears have a history of never winning. I mean, that's even up to this day. The Bears winning in Minnesota is something that just doesn't happen on a regular basis. It's usually Chicago wins at home, the Vikings win at home, and that's usually how the rivalry goes. And you go up there against a the team that you lost tw- lost to twice, previously and it was a a sound win for the bears the score was like 31 to 15 or something like that the vikings just had no answer for you guys was it just we've got nothing to lose it's the world against us and and things like that you know do you remember like what the mentality was going into that game that you were able to overcome and then like exceed expectation in that game
2: we were a huge underdog i know that we were a double-digit underdog so no one gave us a chance to, to win that with that win that game and rightfully so it, it makes you know you know complete sense since we lost you know both times against them earlier and they had such a dynamic offense with warren warren moon and like so many uh, guys that on the outside uh, they um but there was something about it when we got there and we our getting our game plan must have been like amazing I can make up something real quick and be like, <laughs> "Yeah, we did this thing, dude." I'm like, man, I have no idea what what it was, but we uh, we obviously you know were confident enough, and you know we a couple of things like went really went our way, and we were a physical team, mm-hmm. and that was the great thing about you know playing in the black and blue division, yeah. That you know, all of those teams, you know, and we fit right in there, and you know, we just started smashing them dudes in the first quarter. Made our presence known, and once you start rolling in the NFL, man, it's it's hard to stop another team,
1: and yeah. that's
2: exactly what we did. We had, I think, we also had a couple guys kind of play over their heads mm-hmm. at the at the perfect time,
1: yeah.
2: And um, like the injuries that we had earlier in the season, like those guys were all were ready and healthy, so uh, it was just like a like a perfect combination for us to be able to win that game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I re- I remember that game. It was it was such a bittersweet day for me because like i said warren moon was my guy he's been my favorite player since sweetness retired so i'm kind of rooting for both teams here the bears are my team warren moon's my guy so i can't really can't really lose here and watching it go back and forth and and then you know the bears taking it the way that they did you know it's like man this is nice you know they finally won but warren's out of the playoffs again another year with with no title for warren moon who was my favorite player and, and everything but Right, you know, right. in, it's, you You mentioned the black and blue division because and, and, and which is what I was reminded of is that back in 94, there were still only three divisions in a conference. The Bears finished in fourth place that year and still made the playoffs, which is something that will never happen ever again with the way that the uh, divisions are set up, that a fourth place team would be able to make the playoffs.
2: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know, mean, I mean, you're like Google. <laughs> I, have, I, I didn't know any Well, Google is like how I was reminded of the, that. Wikipedia. So, yeah, yeah, you're like Wikipedia. Yeah, I had no idea about that. <laughs> yeah, the Bears finished yeah, in fourth place, so it's like, anymore. yeah,
0: the Packers, the Lions, the Vikings, and the uh, and the Bears all made uh, the playoffs that year. So it's like the NFC Central, and then the champions from the East and the West were the playoffs in '94. And uh, the Bears were the last wow. team in. And, uh, you know, it was like you said, wow. I guess a couple teams had to lose in order for the Bears to to sneak in the back door. But you guys made the most of it. You know, you made it to the playoffs, and then you won a game on the road and then ran into the buzzsaw that was the future world champion, San Francisco 49ers, in the divisional round.
2: Yeah, we, we sure did. Um, that, that was our surprise. <laughs> that was our our, our uh, congratulations. It was like after winning that, you have to play – against, you know, arguably, like, the most talented team I've ever seen, ever uh, witnessed, was uh, that 49ers squad. And uh, going out to Candlestick Park was, (laughs) it was, it was like a, I I do remember some of that because Mm -hmm. it was, like, my first time ever going to San Francisco and just kind of being in that, being in that environment. Uh, A lot of the veterans told me that, like, hey, man, like, there's a significant um, change of, uh, of, of like environment mm-hmm. when you get to the, you know, when you get to the playoffs versus like the um, regular season versus the regular season. So once, yeah, once we got, I mean, and that was very evident you know, when we played in Minnesota. So from the energy from Minnesota over all the way over to San Francisco was even another notch up. And, um, uh, they they just had so much talent, man. They had Ricky Waters and William Floyd in the backfield. Of course, yeah. they had Steve Young as a quarterback. Man, they had man they had so many so many dudes on that squad yeah. that uh, we didn't see what, what his is, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it was you know on paper probably like top to bottom one of the most talented teams that's ever been, and you know they had Dion Sanders in the. In the secondary, and Merton Hanks was back there. Gary Plummer and and um, oh god, Norton Junior. Eric uh, Davis, Ken Norton, yeah. Jr., Ken Norton, Brian Young, yeah. Dana,
2: Dana Stubblefield. Top to man, they had so many dudes, man. Yeah, I want to say was Charles was Charles Haley on that squad too. I, um, I think he was. He,
0: I think he was still yeah, with the Cowboys had, at that point. was he? Yeah, I man. think so.
2: It was, I'm surprised he wasn't on the squad. Yet. <laughs> I'm surprised Reggie so, Rich, White and Tutal Jones and Jack Tatum. <laughs> I mean, they could have. They had. I swear they had everybody on that on that defense.
0: Yeah, it was. They uh, were, yeah,
2: they were strong, man. They were they were amazing.
0: Yeah, so they eventually went on to win the championship that year. Uh, they finally got over the mm-hmm. Cowboys' hump and, and made it into the Super Bowl uh, in '94. Yeah, yeah so. definitely. But uh, that was the
2: first time I ever as a as a um just as a spectator I actually went to the game. The first time I ever gone to like a Super Bowl. Uh, hmm. I was curious to see like how they were, you know, how they were going to like destroy the San Diego Chargers uh, down in Miami and that was yeah. like a yeah, that was that was a a real special year for that for that team. Yeah, you the know, 49ers were amazing
0: just out of the gate too, just right off the bat to touchdown down the middle of Jerry Rice, and just like, okay, well, this is how this is gonna go. So,
2: yeah, we know. <laughs> I think we know how this story is gonna
0: end. Yeah. So, '95 was another interesting season for the Bears because they drafted the Heisman Trophy winner, Rashawn Salam, to take over um, in the backfield. Were you hurt in '95? Because when I was checking like ProReferenceFootball.com, I showed you only played one game in '95.
2: Yeah, the the first play of the game, I they threw a swing pass out to me, and I broke my collarbone. And I oh wow! So I I know I started fullback. Uh, uh, Lewis was Lewis Stillman was was still the um, Star. starting running back. Yeah, and I, I mean, eventually Rashawn took over. But yeah, it was a heartbreaking year for me because we had some high expectations, mm-hmm. and our offense had some really good pieces. And yeah. Then obviously we added Rashawn. I just really thought that was a you know a season that we were going to like build on, and I had a lot of momentum and a lot of plays designed for me and to break my collarbone on the very first play of the of the season, and for it to never grow back uh, until like the following year. And that was that was really heartbreaking
0: for me. So was it just a was it a bad break? Was it something that required surgery? I mean, because it cost you the whole season.
2: Yeah, it was. You know, typically when you break your collarbone, you can you know it fuses back together Mm -hmm. and uh you'll be able to be back out there maybe six weeks eight weeks right but my the bone my collarbone never like fused back together so after they we waited that amount of time then we had to do surgery so i didn't get surgery done you know for six you know six to eight weeks and they put a plate with eight screws in there and then by that time you know for that to heal all up you know Right. You know, I had to wait until the following year. Um, what's crazy is I still have that plate. I was <laughs> just going to ask, too. is it like still in, my in there? It's now. Yeah. Can't yeah, go it's through. Uh... It's, just, it's just a part of me now.
0: Can't go through TSA though, right?
2: <laughs> no, nah, I can still go through there. But uh, early on, yeah, it used to go off on, on, the, on a regular basis.
0: Uh-huh. Wow.
2: But, yeah, I'm good now. Right. I'm never I am, I'm not yeah, I'm not taking it out. I'm just gonna leave it in there, okay, it's just kind of part of who
0: I am now, right, 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 So you come back in in ninety six and it's the Rasan Salam show, but Rashan gets hurt, and once again, like you were in your rookie year, kind of forced into duty, you become the primary back and actually lead the bears in in rushing in ninety six
2: well, yeah, I was uh starting fullback, and Rashawn was uh starting running back. Right. So we were like kind of interchangeable. Uh the the idea was that like we were like the same size, uh, same speed, uh, uh, a lot of uh, very similar um um skills on the field. So we were just kind of more interchangeable. So I played fullback, he played running back, but unfortunately he got hurt and went down and, and I just really took over. And that's when really when I like blossomed as a as a feature back like for for the team. Uh, unfortunately, I got hurt myself, but was able to kind of come back from that later in the, in the season and uh, had a solid year and ended up uh, leading the team in rushing, I believe. Yeah. That year.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just over 900 yards, I saw. So, And then in yeah. 97, same thing. You're the lead back this time, and you, you break a 1,000 uh, for the season in 97. You're actually one of the few bright spots for that team. The Bears started 0-7. Uh, that that year on their way to a four and twelve four and twelve uh finish, but we got a thousand yard rusher and uh Raymond Harris.
2: Yeah, man, that's uh, kinda of like the story of my life. It seems like uh you know, when I finally uh take off and things start going well, there's still something, you know, to uh either derail it uh-huh. or at the same time, you know, not be too excited because it's bittersweet because our team's not winning. So uh to Get to the point where, oh man! For a while, I was like one of the leading rushers of of the NFC, uh, leading one of the leading guys that scoring touchdowns, and then to kind of, um, you know, break my my leg in, I believe it was the 13th game. So I only played 13 games and uh, gained a thousand yards and was happy and excited about like my my progression, but obviously it's, it's bittersweet because our team's not winning. Yeah, And then um, to actually go out like that, um, it was, yeah, that was truly heartbreaking because that was like my last and final year in Chicago. So, right. yeah, I, when I look back at that, it yeah, it's still something that, you know, that bothers me from here to there. I bet.
0: To yeah. To, to not be able to, to leave on the, I mean, not exactly bad terms, but not your terms. Right.
2: Right. Exactly. Right. 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 Well, we went in, I went into free agency and, they, um, you know, the front office, they did they did some tricky stuff. So, <laughs> even though I was hurt and I had to have surgery at the end of the year, they put me on as a transition tag. So,
1: okay. You
2: know, there was a you know the franchise tag and the transition tag. So right. you're supposed to get like the, I think the average is top. It's like a top ten running back. So you, but you, <laughs> so they put that on me and then go through. Uh, Free agency, and then you know toward the end of free agency they take it off which doesn't seem still to this day doesn't seem fair to me right, but like so once things had always like secured other running backs you know then they put you know took it off and uh, did some some funny business, so that basically signaled the the end of my time in Chicago
0: <laughs> well, well, Raymond, the Bears got theirs because instead of bringing you back, they drafted Curtis Enos, and we all know how that worked out, so. Um, yeah, that was uh, that unfortunate because
2: I, I I watched that kid in uh, in college. Yeah, uh, and he was dominant, mm-hmm. and I thought he was going to be really good. Uh, yeah, and so they took him in the, with the fifth pick, and you know that made sense. I think I heard like afterwards that the, you know the plan was they were trying to trade that pick, and since they couldn't trade it, they ended up taking him. Mm-hmm. And once they did that, yeah, like I said, that signaled my my end. In Chicago, but then also like a, a new era that unfortunately didn't work out for for the Bears either.
0: No, nope, that was uh, that was the end of it there. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, that was. That was tough. But one I thing, they up Edgar Bennett too that year too.
0: Yeah, they did. I was actually really excited about that, but that also as Edgar's last best years were behind him at that point. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but um, as much as I hate to 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 have read this because I didn't remember it. One thing I didn't remember, how about that? Uh, was that you played in <laughs> Green Bay in '98? I did. How dare but you?
2: Edgar went to Chicago. I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> it was kind of like we were traded, basically. Almost. But Edgar came to uh, Chicago, and I went over to uh, uh, Green Bay. Uh, they. I mean, hey, what yeah, was that like?
0: Because this is it, a team it, it, you, you're coming from. A team that started zero and seven. Finished four and twelve, and joining a team that's coming off of two back, you know, back to back Super Bowl appearances. They went to you know thirty one and thirty two, and here they are. You are joining the team after they after they pulled that off. And uh, I mean, what was the? I mean, there had to be a very different, you know, like a vast difference in in the culture of those two locker rooms from one year to the next.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a huge difference in. Culture, yeah, uh, environment, uh, confidence, expectations—all right. of that. Uh, the team had so. You talk about man, the, the 49ers team in '94. Like that Green Bay team had so much talent as well. So to go over there after being, you know, uh, like the you know the focal point on a team that wasn't as good, that uh, to then go to a, a team that you know you're just like one of the pieces. And then I, you know, I mean, you the and the quarterback happened to be the three-time uh, MVP in the league. Yeah. You know, yeah. So um, it was great, man. It was awesome. I, I love going to Green Bay. I love the the organization. Uh, they were first class. Uh, they really treated the players really well. Uh, but living in Green Bay, as you could imagine, after like living in Chicago, was a huge letdown right. <laughs> and to, you know, <laughs> and to not really, um, not ever truly like, you know, be healthy again from, you know, from that devastating injury at 97 Yeah, um, that kind of you know, made my time there you know short as well.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, cause it yeah. was, I mean, just it, it, you know, cause I was looking at that and it was like the timing of it, you know, to go from a team that, from from a team that that you know was hoping to win, wanted to win, to being in a locker room that expected to win, like it was Super Bowl or bust for the team that you joined in '98, because they would just been there the last two years.
2: Right, exactly. And that was that was a that was a fascinating way um, to approach like a football season, mm-hmm. to have expectations out the roof. And yeah. if you. It's not good enough to just win, but to win impressively. Yeah, and man, it, so it, it just felt good to you know constantly be on Monday Night Football, to always be like the game of the week that you know people are, are paying attention to. That was yeah, it was a really really good feeling. That
0: so was it one also of of
2: my, fun, um, my best time.
0: It also had to be somewhat of a uh, a familiar feeling because that was that was the M O for Ohio State while you were there, right?
2: Uh, that's a good point, man. Ohio State, we were used to like winning a lot, and you know, yeah. being dominant and always being the team that yeah. that the, you know, the rest of the country was watching and paying attention to. So, yeah, like on a much bigger scale, yeah, they was, was was like my time at, at Ohio State.
0: Yeah, like where where I mean, it's every team's expectation to try to make it to the Super Bowl, but there's only a handful that have a quote unquote realistic expectation. Uh, of getting there, so you could talk about Super Bowl all your time in Chicago, but getting there was going to be something else entirely. Whereas, in when you joined Green Bay in '98, they had already been there twice and were expected to go back a third time.
2: Right, 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 right. That's a that's a great point, man. That's exactly how it felt, and that's uh, that's what the reality was. Mm-hmm. And uh, for them to, um, I think we, I want to say we started the season off like six and zero, and we're rolling and uh you know unfortunately the team didn't do it as well um we got upset like in the in the playoffs but it was
0: yeah that was, it was the uh, like a,
2: it was still like a really cool uh experience
0: I mean it was historic exit that was the Terrell Owens catch in the playoffs in
2: yeah coming yeah right there he couldn't
0: catch a cold that whole game and then caught that touchdown pass we got smashed yeah. between two defenders at the last minute held on to the ball somehow yeah. that was crazy that was him.
2: yeah Right. Yeah, he's one. Of the, yeah, that that was, that was a special time for him. And That's earlier true. in the year, um, going up against Randy Moss, that was his rookie year, yeah. and just watching what he did to—he yeah, was, was like on a Monday Night. <laughs> that, that was his coming of age as well. So that was uh, that was a very interesting year, ninety-eight.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's it like to watch a guy like that on the field? I mean, and just to to know that you're watching something special happen right there in front of you like that.
2: Man, it was you know, it's a, a league full of like special players. Yeah, but yeah. then to there, are, but there are some guys that just are just different. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the sideline, I mean, we're all like you know really talented and really good at what we do. But then you look across the field and you see Barry Sanders, you know that that guy's different. Yeah, you look across the field and you see uh, Deion Sanders, you know he's different. Mm-hmm. And Randy Moss is one of those guys. He's the kind of guy that even though I was on offense, we'd be making adjustments. We'd also be looking, you know, watching, you know, the you know, watching the big screen because he was gonna probably do something special. And he's just like one of those like, special players, those once in a lifetime guys.
0: Yeah. What was Favre like up close and personal?
2: Uh He arguably is the best teammate I've ever had. I've never been around a guy that was just so cool and so approachable and was uh, the kind of guy that was a great friend to the starters and the the key players as well as like the backups. He was so accessible. Um, He did things with everyone. He commanded respect, but he was just real, like real easygoing, and um, he just exuded confidence, like in everything that he did. And his confidence really rubbed off on the rest of the players as well. It made you want to like fight harder for him, yeah, and work harder for him. So he's was just, just a he was a wonderful teammate, man. One of yeah. one of the one of my favorites.
0: Cause um, you know, as a football fan, always been a huge fan. Uh, of Favre, uh, even though he terrorized us twice a year for eternity. Um, uh, I love to watch the guy play because I always got the feeling that he was having fun playing the game. I mean, he looked like he was just having such a great time, which is why I like him over uh, Aaron Rodgers. I don't really get the feeling that Aaron Rodgers is having any fun uh, out there, but, you know, you could. it was, like, contagious with Favre. Like, I remember he threw a touchdown pass and then tackled his receiver in the end zone to celebrate. Uh, with him you know those are the kind of things you could get from uh, from Favre and you know Rodgers would never do anything uh, like that so I was always more of a Favre guy than a Rodgers uh, guy as far as um, liking either one in the first place so and of course you know they're, they yeah. play for Green Bay so I gotta watch them kick the hell out of us twice a year so that's always been fun but uh, speaking right. of
2: that's, I bet they had fun there Yeah, fun when
0: they play Chicago <laughs> but, Speaking of quarterbacks, uh, it was your last year in Chicago. The Bears made a trade that to this day is ranked number one as the worst trade in the history of the franchise when we gave up a first-round pick to bring Rick Meyer uh, into town. Um, do you remember, Rick, and, and because he only started like a handful of games and this was supposed to be the future of the position for us, and 97 was his one and only year. Uh, in Chicago. I mean was was the writing on the wall that this was just a disaster waiting to happen. I mean we start 0 and seven so this the season is kind of lost to begin with, but we bring this guy in that just flat out did not work out.
2: Yeah, that was tough man. It was a it was a challenging time. Yeah. And uh I remember when Rick came to the team there was some excitement. Yeah. But uh, because I want to say he was like the second pick. Uh the year I came out I believe, like, the year I came out, he was the second pick you know, behind Drew Bledsoe. Yes, he, he was. Went to Seattle. Yeah. And, and he had, like, there were really high expectations for him, and, you know, things just didn't pan out. And he ended up coming to uh, Chicago, and, you know, people were really excited about it. And, unfortunately, you know, I don't remember the time as well, where, mm-hmm. like, like, why things didn't work out for him. But I just remember it just never um, – he just never seemed to get his footing – under himself, you know, in Chicago mm-hmm. and it's a tough place to play yeah. when you think we throw in like the elements and the fact that our team was struggling and, and uh, I don't think the, the fans ever uh, warmed up to him. So it was, I, from what I remember, it was like a, just a really tough you know, experience for him. And, you know, to, if you don't play well, like right out the bat, you know, right out the gate, I, uh, Eric Kramer was still there, so yeah. you know, he had been someone who had been successful, um, off and on you know, for a couple of years there. And you know, if you and you only get one, you know, one chance to make a like first impression, and that first impression just didn't go well. Yeah. And from there, it just seemed like it just, yeah, it just kind of snowballed downhill for him, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: Well, in all fairness to uh, Rick in '97, aside from you rushing for a thousand yards, nothing went. The way that it was supposed to uh, in Chicago uh, that year. I mean, yeah, it was it also year, yeah, it was a, a it was also Wanstats last season uh, as head coach uh, in Chicago. He was fired, and Dick Veron was brought in uh, in '98. So I mean, it was just a, an upside down season uh, to begin with. So um, you know, it was it it just seemed like it was doomed to start, and there was a lot of hope because there's a lot of Notre Dame fans in Chicago. So bringing this guy that was all world in Notre Dame to Chicago to be our quarterback. And there was a lot of buzz and an excitement around him, and it just it went off a cliff almost immediately as far as it just not yeah. not working out. so And then the fact that, um, yeah. you know, uh, Seattle turned that pick into Sean Springs uh, didn't help. So, uh, you know, we gave up Sean <laughs> Springs for Rick Meyer. Yeah. That's one of the more lopsided yeah. trades I've ever seen. So that did not yeah. uh,
2: work yeah. out. So, yeah, that's a tough, that was tough. That's a bitter, bitter pill to swallow.
0: So one couple more things before I let you go, uh, Raymond. I really appreciate you doing this. And um, you were in Chicago during the Bulls' second three-peat, you know, when they won the last three mm-hmm. uh, championships. Cool. Have you been watching The Last Dance?
2: Man, of course, man. It's bringing yeah. like back all these great memories. Oh, doesn't it, though? Oh. So great. Oh, this is, like, the best documentary ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's so good. So good. So during your time in Chicago, did you have any, you know, like run-ins with any of the Bulls during that time? Did you ever, like, hang out with them or run into anybody uh, while you were in Chicago at the time? Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, Chicago is uh, obviously the third largest city in the country. Right. And um, the, you know, football, you know, the best, you know, as many sports that that we had there – I mean, the Bears are still, like, the, that's the team. They're the Kings, So, So, um, like, all the – yeah. The, so, but at that time, of course, like, the Bulls were, you know, they had just finished one 3 piece, And then, uh, you know, working on the, the next, the, you know, the second one. And, like, you would see, like, the players from, like, you know, the Blackhawks and the Cubs and the Sox and the Bulls. You see them all over the place. So, and it was cool to be able to, like, be in the city at the same time yeah. as all those other great guys and for them to be able to go through like what they were going through uh, it was it was amazing um, i remember we played poker uh, with jordan you know a few times and i remember i can remember to this day like when he walked in the room and <laughs> sat down at the table i was like over somebody's house and, we just, and i just i remember feeling like a little kid like yeah. to, you know down trying to keep my composure because like i'm a grown man like a professional athlete but this is Michael Jordan, so it was different. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it was, like, a really fun time, man. And, like, watching, like, this, this The Last Dance uh, documentary right now is just bringing back so many, like, great memories to, like, those, those 90s Bulls teams. I had no idea about a lot of this drama uh, behind the scenes. Right. So it's really cool to kind of take a, take a look at, like, what's happening, you know, or actually what had happened that, that last year. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, the whole thing with uh, Scotty Pippen's injury—I I don't remember him being out of this, out of commission for that long during the the '97-'98 uh, season and everything. Not the—and I didn't really realize that there were trade demands and Scotty wanted out or or what have you. So it was really before the internet kind of took hold and everybody didn't have their nose buried in yeah. a phone uh, back then. So if you didn't read in the paper, you probably didn't hear about it at all. So. Um, you know, it was a much different time uh, back then, and, and so, I mean, this is why this is so new uh, to us, because this is kind of like those those last few years before the internet kind of took over uh, the world, so that you could actually keep a secret back then.
2: Yeah. That's true, man. That's a good point. I think the, um, man, it, I remember how exciting, like, the city was when Dennis Rodney came to the Came yeah. to the city. I remember there were a number of people that, you know, weren't that, you know, they weren't fired up about it because <laughs> of his time with the bad boys. And yeah. he was like a nemesis. And man, like he came on the team and he was, you know, they, they, he would change his hair color. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the building that was like right there on on the on oh, nah, the freeway. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I know like what on you're 90, talking
2: about. But they, remember they would change whenever you would, would change your hair color, they would yeah. change. <laughs> yeah. Man, it was so fun. It was a, a great time. And um it was like a really electric time in the city for for uh for that basketball team.
0: Yeah, I remember driving around on uh, 94. That's the highway that it was on into uh Yeah. To, to drive past that uh billboard. And I was driving past it one time when it went from you know, like leopard spots to like a rainbow across the top of his head or something like that. And I was driving right. past it when, when the crane was lowering the new wig on his head, basically. Uh, right, and right. I remember, I remember seeing that. So, yeah, it was a pretty crazy time because there's no place in the world like Chicago when one of our teams is doing it, you know. And it's unfortunate. I mean, you, you made the playoffs your rookie year in Chicago, but you never really got, unfortunately, like the full front – of what Chicago can be like when the Bears are winning.
2: Oh yeah, no. Yeah, I can't even imagine. To know to see how the city was reacted to um uh, the Bulls. Yeah. Uh, honestly like during my time there, that was the Bulls was that was really the only team that was really like doing well. Like oh, the Cubs for sure, weren't yeah. doing much. No. Uh the Sox weren't doing anything. The Blackhawks weren't really doing anything. So yeah, the city was really got behind like the Bulls. But then you know, eventually, like the Blackhawks got really good, and mm-hmm. you know, the Sox ended up winning a winning a series. Then the Cubs won one, and yeah. you know, the Bears got to the Super Bowl, but you know, couldn't make it happen, couldn't right. like finish the job. I can only imagine like what the city was like when all those things were happening.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, I was downtown uh, watching the game with some buddies at a sports bar someplace that we found uh, when the Bears beat the Saints to win the NFC title and in 06 and then walking around downtown it was just chaos it's nothing but horns wow. honking you're you're hugging in high five random strangers who are walking by you on the sidewalk <laughs> like anybody's wearing the bears right, something yeah. you're getting a hug or a high five from that person when you walk past them because the bears just made it to the to the super bowl it was it was pandemonium when that game was over just walking through the streets so um yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you I mean, can only imagine two years ago
2: man i go ahead oh i'm sorry no, no. I was going to say two years ago when I got back to the, when I went to, when they were like, uh, we had a game, uh, it, would be, it was a wild card game, they hosted uh, Philly, no. I, I just had the feeling, I thought that was going to be the season, oh, man. that they were going to make it back to the Super Bowl, and I just remember being heartbroken with, along with everyone else at the oh. game.
0: Did you go to that game, you're saying?
2: <laughs> I was there, yeah, I was there, My oh. son is, it was my son's 21st birthday, hmm. so we went got you know, got the game, got some good seats and <laughs> was sitting there and oh and that, when that um when that uh, field goal got blocked, oh that was, that was tough. I don't even want to talk about it. I mean
0: dude, it's there. that was like that was worst case scenario across the board. The last thing that any Bear fan wanted in twenty eighteen was for the season to come down to Cody Park. Because there was just there was not enough data that said he was going to pull through. In fact, all the data pointed in the opposite direction. And for sure, <laughs> it came down to him. You know, Trubisky was brilliant on that last drive, made that crazy throw to Allen Robinson to get in field goal range. It's set up, it's 40 yards, 43 yards, actually. You know, it's right in his wheelhouse as far as his, his range is concerned. All he's got to do is put it straight through the uprights. Not only did he doink it like he had done six times previous in that season, he doinked it twice in the same kick just to put a little right. cherry on top of it all. It was every Bear fan's nightmare coming true uh, in that moment. Because yeah, if tough. we was tough, man. if we beat Philly, we go to L.A., we run over the Rams again, and then who knows what happens in the NFC Championship. So, I mean, it just yeah. – yeah, And I heard an interview uh, Prince of Mukamura did like a week or two ago saying that they were all convinced if they beat philly we're going there's nothing else in our way we're going to the super bowl and unfortunately they didn't get over that hurdle so yeah that one stung a little yeah that one hurt yeah especially (laughs) especially since (laughs) (laughs) especially since 2019 turned out the way that it did i mean it was one disaster after another uh in 2019 we were supposed to be better last year than we were in 2018 it was just just made everybody even more pissed at Cody Parkey, if that's even possible. But it is. So there it was. But um, but yeah, yeah. It's a uh, Chicago is uh, a very interesting place to be when uh, when one of our teams uh, is winning. I wouldn't know about the White Sox because I'm a Northsider, so I don't care what happens with the White you don't Sox. Even pay attention, uh, Nope. Yeah. Nope. Like when they won the World Series, I felt nothing. Not even like civic pride that my city just won a World title. Nothing. I felt nothing. I was like, man. I was actually surprised. I was like, man, that runs deep, huh? I don't even care that the White Sox (laughs) won the World Series. Not even. But when the Cubs won in 2016, I was a blubbering mess on the floor. I could not maintain. It was just, it was chaos. So. Yeah,
2: I I was a blubbering mess for the you know for the other <laughs> for the other reason Cleveland, because, huh? You no, know, my tribe. Yeah. yeah, man. The Tribe. No, nah, that was heartbreaking.
0: That was Yeah, uh, you know what,
2: man, I don't really want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> let just move on. I don't want to talk about
0: it. it. was an amazing World Series and I'm not a baseball fan, but I know that much. That's for sure. Um Yeah. yeah so yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. what did uh <laughs> what did post football life bring Raymond Harris? You mentioned you you're at the you're you're working for Ohio State uh, now, but what, what in between like football and getting you back to Ohio state, what, what happened in between?
2: Uh, let's see. I did some radio and TV broadcasting for four years. That was really fun. I did, uh, hosted, uh, a radio show in Columbus, the morning show. And then I did the pre and post game show in Chicago on the score. Oh, nice. And I did sideline reporting there too. Uh, for, uh, for a couple of seasons mm-hmm. and then after that I did rate um, I did residential lending for mortgage. Oh. I mean for uh, Chase Bank. I did mortgages Okay, I did that for four years and then I made the uh, I made the switch over to Ohio State. So that was man Time is zipping by and that was probably 12 years ago. So I've been back at Ohio State for 12 years
1: Wow it's wow. been
2: a yeah. I've done I've done a number of different things and it's uh, it, it was all it was all great and it all got me to where I am right now, which is you know I feel really good about um, working with like student athletes, raising money, um, <clears throat> and also doing things that I just feel like they are just kind of more part of my purpose. Sure. So that's just that's that's how. That's that long circuitous route they got to where I am today, right now.
0: Yeah, are you are you using your degree for the position you have right now?
2: Well, in a way, I guess, but I, I majored in communications, so okay. I, I started off in business school, but the, the accounting that math was way too hard, so like now I'm gonna go let's go with more uh, communications. <laughs> yeah, so do <laughs> so I do communicate. Uh, with people on on a regular basis, uh, I'm going to say
0: yes. I, I'm Okay. Using that now, yeah, yeah. No, I'm. Uh, As this, you can tell
2: about this this wonderful performance on this podcast. That I'm doing <laughs>
0: right. Well, this podcast is how I'm using my degree because I went to school for for broadcasting. So I didn't find my way out into the go, professional world, but this is how I've been uh, using the uh, using the scratching the itch, if you will, uh, of of doing the, uh, doing broadcasting and stuff. So. So Raymond, I really appreciate you uh coming on, man. This has been a uh a blast going down uh memory Lane. Like I said, it was one of the more interesting times in the franchise's history. That transition post Ditka and and you know, trying to to work its way back into the into the win column and being perennial winners uh, uh again, you were a big part in, in in starting that transition. Hey,
2: thanks a lot, Larry. I appreciate the time, man. It's always great to um kind of like reminisce about my time in Chicago because it's honestly like one of the most enjoyable times in my life so I appreciate that man.
0: Raymond Harris the ultra back himself uh, hanging out with us here on the Bear Stock Underground. Remember, guys, for free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial, go to simplysafe.com slash team. That's simplysafe.com slash T-E-A-M. I want to thank my guest, Raymond Harris, the ultra-back himself, for uh, taking out the time to uh, come on the show and, and, and talk to us about that very interesting time period in, in Bears history. It's the first post-Ditka uh, era. Uh, you know with Wanstat stat as the uh, the head coach with uh, mixed results you know it would kind of uh, actually kind of peaked in, in Raymond's rookie year by making the playoffs in uh, 94 and, and you know heard you he, heard us uh, heard him say that um, the the Bears had to win week 17 or 16 whichever it was back I forget how many bye weeks there were back in 94 but um, you know you had to to win to get in and get some help and the the same situation presented itself all over again in 95 only that time they didn't get the help so they missed the playoffs in in 95 96 they went 7-9 and nine. 97 started 0-7 and, and went 4-12 and 12, and that was the end uh, of the that era Dick Jerron came came in in 98 and aside from 2001 there's really nothing worth talking about there so um yeah Uh, then we got to lovey and then uh you know reestablished the team as uh you know at least somebody in the discussion uh while lovey was the head coach and now we're trying to still struggling to find our way back to year in and year out uh legitimacy but uh we'll see what uh this year's draft uh, can do to can we return to 2018 form or will it be 2019 maybe something in between who knows but um, we'll have to uh, have to hold on and uh, find out to uh, see what impact these new rookies are going to have the the free agents that we've added the people that we've subtracted how it will uh, form this year's uh, this year's team and and what the resulting season uh, will end up looking like but um, you know like I said it was a very interesting. Time in Bears history, uh, nearly 20 years with just two guys running the foot. Very much kind of like how the Packers went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, and you know had a solid has had a solid top of the line uh, quarterback for a quarter of a century. Nearly, uh, the Bears were very much like that with the running backs, and from '75 when Sweetness got drafted until Neil Anderson retired uh, in '93, we had two starting running backs uh, in that time and then 94 being the first year without either of those guys was Raymond's first year on the team. We had Lewis Tillman kind of bouncing around from one starting running back to the next, a, a position that really wasn't solidified until uh, the early 2000s when Thomas Jones finally joined the team and then solidified for a much longer period when uh, Matt Forte uh, joined the team in 2008. Uh, so, I mean, even if you, you know, thanks to, uh, Jerry Angelo, uh, Thomas Jones time with the team was was also short, same as Raymond, only four years, 2004, actually three years for Thomas Jones, 2004, five and six before we traded him to the Jets. If you don't want to count that, from Neil Anderson in 93, it wasn't until 2008 when Matt Forte was our runner from 2006 through the 2014 season that we finally had a running back that we could rely on year in. Uh, and year out so I mean that's 15 years that we had to wait between Neil Anderson and our next great great running back well then actually you have to go to Thomas Jones but you get what I'm saying it was a it was it's always been a position that has been a bell cow for the for the Bears a calling card uh, if you will Walter Payton Neil Anderson had to wait over a decade before Thomas Jones uh, came into town Uh, Raymond Harris was a solid uh, dependable, uh, running back during his time, uh, in the league. And, you know, in the ultra back nickname, uh, you know, he was one of my favorite players, uh, during that very difficult time, uh, in bears, uh, in bears history. So it was fun to, uh, to talk to him and catch up with him and then see what's, uh, what he's been up to and to just talk about that period and what it was like to be in Chicago and to be a bear during that time in the franchise's uh, history. So, that is basically going to do it, guys. Like I said, we'll be back either later on this week or early next week whenever we can uh, pin down our good friend Scott Wright to review the draft. We'll talk about the Bears, I think it was six or seven. We had seven uh, draft choices. And the uh, I, think, I think we're up to eight or nine undrafted rookie free agents at this point in time on Monday night. So maybe we'll sign another one or two between now and then. And, uh, you know... Clear out the or you know fill out the rest of the uh, the ninety man uh, roster. So um, be sure to keep on keep track on the uh, social media. It's uh, BTU underscore Larry on Twitter, and just search Bears Talk Underground on Facebook to join the group to get updates on when the next episode uh, will be coming. So uh, that's going to do it, guys. So until uh, we come back with our draft review episode, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.